Thumper's girlfriend and Bambi, you know, just over and over and over and over again? You know, are you that kind of blinker? Or are you the kind of person that you can go 39 minutes scrolling through Facebook and never blink once, not a single time, not even breathe for 39 minutes, you know, while you're scrolling through? What kind of blinker are you? Did you know that you can't smile and blink at the same time? Y'all just tried it, didn't you? Yeah, that's good. It's good. Try later, too. It's fun. I really just did that to get you to smile. See, it doesn't matter if I can't see you. You smiled, and that's good. That's what we want. I saw something this week about how blinking impacts things in your job interview. It seems that some body language experts, some neuroscientists have come up with a couple of general categories for what your blinking means when you're in a job interview. If you don't blink a lot, or if you do blink a lot, it means two different things, okay? So if you blink a lot, it means you're probably stressed, you're, you're anxious, you know, they're, they're explaining to you how, how food works in the office workroom, and, and that you have to be careful about what you bring in there, and you get a little anxious, you start blinking a lot, because you realize that every day you eat the same thing for lunch, corned beef and cabbage with a little bit of fish sauce spread on the bread, you know, just just the smelliest thing possible. And you get a little nervous, and you start blinking a lot. On the flip side of that, if you don't blink a lot, it might be because you're lying. Yeah. You should be careful in a job interview if you don't blink a lot, all right? Because it could be that whatever they're asking you, you're, you're not telling the truth about. So now, now, we can all wonder what our blinking means, right? We can sit around freaking out about whether we're blinking too many times or whether we're not blinking enough. And, and that's okay because it's good to think about our blinks. You know, sometimes in life, though, we wish we could just blink and things would be over, right? We wish that, that whatever we're in the middle of, we, we could just blink it away. That it could just be gone, that we wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. There are times when our discouragement and our frustration are so real that we just feel like we can't adjust. We just can't do anything about it. And a deli sandwich won't help. And a box of chocolates won't help. And a dozen roses won't help. There's something deeper. The, the reality of our discouragement, it becomes so real that we feel like nobody cares that nobody understands and that we feel completely and totally alone and like nobody can help. Ever been there? Ever felt that way before? Ever felt alone in your despair, alone in your anger, or alone in your fear? I want you to know that you're not really alone. In fact, one of the most powerful and important leaders in history felt exactly like that. He had the same type of alone discouragement. So, what did he do? How did he handle his discouragement? Let's see if we can find out. Psalm 13, verse 3, King David writes, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. David took his despair, he took his discouragement to God. He prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. Not little popcorn prayers when he was about to eat his Wheaties in the morning, but like real prayer, deep 
prayer, prayer that took time. You know, I often hear people, including myself, say, man, I'm just so busy, I don't have time for blank. You know, whatever blank may be. So let's just do a little personal evaluation here. Let's just take 10 minutes, okay? Do you look at Facebook, Instagram, TikTok more than 10 minutes a day? Do you listen to talk radio or watch the TV news more than 10 minutes a day? Is that part of your schedule? Do you, for more than 10 minutes a day, eat cake or pie or ice cream? More than 10 minutes. Drop back to nine. You'll be all right. You know, just, just a little time off. All of us do things with our time. We, we use our time. I saw something where a researcher at Cal State Fullerton, he realized in some of his research, he discovered something. This is how he described it. That Facebook addicts driving a car are more likely to respond faster to a push notification alert on their phone than to a street sign. All we have to do is kind of look at our own families. There's the one, right? You know, I mean, we see it. It's real. It's true. This, this is really happening. For many people, Facebook or Instagram or, or TikTok or, or Netflix or bacon or donuts or the gym or pornography or gossip or alcohol or drugs or, or candy games on your phone or, or warfare games on a video console or conspiracy theories about politics, or even prophecies about the end time, and many other things. We are obsessed with so many different things, and what we do is we use those things to satisfy our boredom, or our fear, or our anger, or our frustration. We, we look for things to bring in, something that will take us away, something that will help us deal with that frustration, that boredom, that reality, those emotions. We're always trying to find something to help us deal with our emotions. But when it comes to the emotions that we are having today, when it comes to the emotions of things that we're dealing with in life, it seems as if among professing Christians, more and more, we are not turning to God especially not in prayer. We seem to be turning to everything and everyone else, even our frustration, even our fear, more than we're turning to God. Tony Reinke said this, when life gets boring, we increasingly turn to the surprises and diversions of our news feeds, not to prayer. David didn't have Facebook, but he had something. I mean, there's always something, no matter what time in history you live, there's always something that can pull you away, always something that can distract you, always something that can cause you not to pursue God. But here's the thing, that wasn't David's problem. David was pursuing God. David was running to God. He was running to God in prayer. He was pleading with God, but he felt like God wasn't listening felt like he was praying, but God wasn't responding. It felt like God was not paying attention. Like a little boy that gives a cute little girl in class a Spider-Man Valentine that says, hey, let's fight crime together. And then she won't even look at him. She just ignores him. That's how David feels. He's like, God, I've given you my life. 
life's over to you. God, I'm praying. I'm engaged. I read my Bible. I, I go to a Bible study. I go to church on Sunday. I, I pray with my kids. We do a devotional book. God, where are you? God, why aren't you responding? And David says, in desperation, please look at me. Almost every single personal post on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and any of the other formats, all of them are saying this, please look at me. Please look at me. Please look at this moment in my life. Please look at this memory in my life. Please, please, please look at me. We are obsessed with people wanting to look at us. And I just want to encourage you today. I promise God is looking at you. I promise God is looking at you. David says, God, where are you? Look at me. Consider me. Answer me. David's not going to the front of the church to rub the official magic lamp so that God the genie will will answer one of his wishes. No, he's in a relationship with God. He's in a relationship with the one true living God. God is his God. He's not confused. He knows this relationship is real. And no news headline and no discouragement from a valentine and no test result and no power of hell and no scheme of man can ever distract David from the reality that nothing will ever pluck him from the hand of God. He is not so I ask you, do you have the same confidence that David has? Is that confidence in your life? If you wake up on the other side of death today, do you know the living God? Have you come to the everlasting Father through Jesus, His Son? If you haven't, you can today. Whether you're sitting at home watching online or whether you're sitting in this room, today can become the first day of the rest of your life. That first day for Norman Clayton came when he was six years old in church in Brooklyn. Norman didn't just say a magic prayer in a magic spot in the church. He surrendered to Jesus that day and he never got Three decades later, in 1942, when he was 39 years old, he still wasn't over it. In 1942, an evil man from Germany had been wreaking havoc all over the world. The United States, overnight, because of the tragic events at Pearl Harbor, were were thrust into the war. Everything in the country changed, and nothing ever got back. politics, there was a lot going on because of the Great Depression. See, the Great Depression just happened. You know, just just a decade earlier, the country was still trying to, to come back from the worst economic crisis they had ever experienced. And politicians were fighting over how to stabilize the country, what they could do to keep improving. The Democrats and the Republicans, they were fighting over these things. And then there were these other groups, socialists, communists, Nazi sympathizers. All these folks, they were part of the conversation too. They were pushing their platforms and their agendas. In the world of entertainment back in the late 1920s and early 1930s, movies changed a lot. Suddenly the subject matter changed. 
they started ushering in some different plots and some different scenes. Things like intense violence. Things like drug abuse. Things like abortion. Sexual immorality of all types. In fact, the movies had gotten so bad in the late 20s and early 30s that Hollywood had to put together a code just to try to clean things up a little bit. And there were no shortage of sermons and and religious pamphlets saying that they were living in the end times. 1942, 80 years ago. Just a word of biblical math, too. Since the moment that Jesus ascended into heaven, we have always been in the end times. Always. And so the question is, are you ready to meet Jesus? The question has never changed. God in his kindness in the Bible left the return of Jesus vague. In kindness, he did that. So that every single year for the last 2,000 years, and for however many years before Jesus returns, every preacher, everywhere, every Christian, everywhere can say, we are in the end times, do you know Jesus? Today is the day of salvation, do you know Jesus? How kind God has been to keep our message ever. So in the chaos of war, in the chaos of political fighting, in the chaos of cultural immorality, when people were scared, when people were frustrated, when people were anxious, when people were angry, a lot like 2021, in that moment, Norman wrote a song. He hadn't gotten over his salvation yet. At 39 years of age, He wrote a song, and it goes like this. Now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. Not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. No matter what was happening in the world, Norman knew nothing could change his standing with God, and nothing could change his future. No power of hell, no scheme of man, No world event could ever pluck him from his hand. He belonged to Jesus. Three years later, 1945, Norman wrote another song. If you're not a Christian, then then I want to ask you into those verses in just a moment. But, But maybe you're thinking, hey, how can I be saved? How can I be saved? Well, The Bible and kindness makes it super simple. Basically, repent and believe. Repent of this notion that if you're a good American, God's going to let you into heaven. Repent of this notion that as long as you don't murder somebody or, or steal money or do something really bad, that everything is okay with you and God. Repent of that. Acknowledge your sin. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. Repent and believe. Turn and turn. Believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Rely on Jesus. Cling to Jesus as your only ultimate hope of rescue from the wrath that is coming and your only hope for ultimate peace and ultimate joy and ultimate satisfaction. 1945, Norman wrote a song, 
song was called My Hope is in the Lord. He described that rescue from Jesus. So listen to these nouns, listen to these pronouns, listen to these verbs, especially if you're not a Christian. Listen to the simplicity and the power of these words. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me and paid the price of all my sin at Calvary. No merit of my own, his anger to suppress. My only hope is found in Jesus' righteousness. And now for me he stands before the Father's throne. He shows his wounded hands and names me as his Nothing in your social media feed can change that sentence if you're in Christ. Nothing that happens in Washington, D.C. today, next Thursday, or 10 years from now can affect that statement. Names me as his own. That can't change if you're in Christ. Last verse. His grace has planned it all. Tis mine but to believe and recognize his work of love and Christ receive. Can you sing that song? Have you believed God's grace? Have you believed in God's plan? Have you received God's son? Have you truly surrendered to God? David had. David knew he was surrendered to God. And that's why he kept running to him. He kept pursuing him. He kept praying. He kept pleading. He felt like God wasn't listening, that God wasn't paying attention. He was so discouraged. He was so down. How discouraged was he? Listen to what he says next in verse 3. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. I so appreciate David's humility, his simplicity. He says, God, I... I can't see you. In fact, God, I, I just can't see. I can't see what's happening. I can't see a way out of this. God, I can't see what you're doing. God, are you doing anything? Because God, I feel alone. I feel frustrated. I feel afraid. I feel angry. Please look at me, God. God, I'm dying over here. This feels like death. Ever had a moment like that? having some moments like that, maybe even today. Listen, the internet and social media, they are incredible tools. They are. The ability to quickly spread the gospel, the ability to help people practically and financially. I mean, you know, just the ability right now, if somebody gets sick this morning, they were supposed to be helping out with the kids, boom, like like the, the internet and, and phones and, and social, all that stuff helps. It's, it's amazing. So listen, We should, as Christians, we should praise God for the internet. We should praise God for social media. Because God is using it for his glory, and he is using it for our good. But like every good thing, you know, back in the day when roads were first being made, and roads were were the first internet, and, and in the Roman culture, in the Roman empire, when roads... Suddenly, these these major highways were being made. Everybody's like, oh, man, this is incredible. 
you have the ability to get to all these places. It was a great, wonderful thing. But guess what? Somebody figured out if I hide out on some of these roads, I can beat people up and take their money. So good things, they will always be used by sin sometimes in the ways that they shouldn't be used. As we said earlier, behind every post on social media is this silent screaming, please look at me. Please pay attention to me. I just, I just need attention. And again, I would just affirm to you, I want you to know that, that God hasn't changed. David's prayer was very similar, but he wasn't asking the worldwide interweb to pay attention to him. He wasn't asking people who don't even know him to comment on his life. He wasn't asking people that he would never see to like his picture. He said, look at me to the only one that mattered most. God, please look at me. Look, you were created for communion. You were created for relationship. Your primary relationship is not supposed to be with your spouse. Your primary relationship is not supposed to be with your kids. Your primary relationship is not supposed to be with your parents, your best friends, your girlfriends, your boyfriends, your fiancés, anybody else in life. Those are great, wonderful relationships, but you were made for a relationship first and most with God. And so if that relationship is not there, or if that relationship is struggling, then you will find yourself, whether you think you're praying it or not, you'll find yourself, to anybody that will listen, please look at me can't see. I don't know what's going on. Will this fear, will this anger, will it ever go away? I feel like I'm dying. This feels like death. You'll say it somebody. You'll say it somewhere. And what David's doing is trying to help us say, hey, say that to God. First and most, say it to God. Yes, we need to say it to people. But we need to learn how to say it to God. David said, man, I, I feel like I'm dying. And it wasn't the first time he felt that way. Psalm 23, familiar psalm. David said this in verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. He felt so alone. It was dark. He could feel death around him. He couldn't see what was going on. He'd blink and everything was still blurry. He'd blink again, and everything was still dark, and he thought, there's no help. There's no hope. It felt like death was standing over his shoulder, that death was about to swallow him up. But David did not accidentally use these words. He knew that death was only a shadow. He knew that even in the shadow of death, that God was with him. There was no doubt in his mind that God was with him. Yes, he was looking at his life, saying everything looks like hell in a handbasket. But it did not change the reality of what he knew. And he knew that God was with him. For you are with me. For you are with me. For you are with me. Marvin Schmidt was fighting in the Korean War. He had been wounded pretty critically. He was behind enemy lines. He was hiding out in some bushes. And he was praying for a miracle. He was truly praying for a miracle. 
he, he felt just like David. He couldn't see what was going on, and he felt the shadow of death. This is what he said. I wasn't afraid, even though I was sure I wouldn't survive. That's a sentence. If, if you've got tests this week at the doctor, if you, if you know a friend or a loved one in the hospital, to be in Christ get to say that sentence. I wasn't afraid, even though I was sure I wouldn't survive. The phrase that hit closest to home, he said, was about being in the valley of the shadow of death. That's where I literally was. But even in this valley, the Lord was with me. Now the miracle came. Marvin got rescued. But what he's saying is this, that whether I survived or whether I didn't survive, God was with me. Whether I lived or whether I died, God was with me. In other words, what Marvin's saying is, no matter what would have happened to me that day, death was only a shadow. Only a shadow. So, how about you? Is death only a shadow to you? Is your confidence in who God is so real, so deep, that you know what it means to fight in prayer like David's fighting? You know what it means to keep asking God for what's really true? God, would you help me see truth? God, would you help me see that, that you are with me, that you are with me, that you are with me? You may not know this, but everything you see on the internet is not true. Everything you read on social media is not true. Everything that you hear on talk radio is not true. Everything that you read and see on the news or on TV news it's, it's not true. Sometimes what you say to me and what I say to you may not be true. We may have the wrong information. Hallmark movies, they're never true. Bless their heart. They're just not, okay? Really, they're not. But the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that's true. The glory of God face of Jesus Christ. That is true. Last week, I shared the story about Mark and Sarah Brogat. Their daughter, Sylvia, just days before she was about to be born, there was no heartbeat. Mark and Sarah, they have learned what it means to lament. That's what David's doing. He's lamenting. He has all of this pain, and he is running to God his pain. He's pleading with God with his pain. In Mark's book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, he dedicates the book to his wife Sarah and to Sylvia. And this is what he wrote in the book to Sylvia. To my daughter Sylvia, whom God used to teach me that hard is hard. Hard is not bad. What does that mean? Hard is not My friend Keith lost his dad to COVID this week. Ken was 72 years old. Great, great guy. Keith posted this. Your body may not have walked out of room number seven, but your investment in us did. We will miss you, Dad, but we know your day is going better than ours. And then he said this. Worship him, my man. 
We should say my man more. It's a good phrase. Now, how in the world can, can Keith send a message like that? Because here's the deal. The pain, it's hard. The pain is hard. The pain is real. But the pain the heart is, is not bad. Because his dad knew Jesus. His dad was saved. And knowing Jesus changes everything. He's our all. He's our best. There's nothing greater. Knowing Jesus changes everything. Key sister-in-law, Jody, she also posted about Mr. Ken. This is what she said. Unshakable joy, unspeakable grief, all mingled together. We didn't get what we thought we wanted or needed. Our hearts are broken. But we will choose faith over sight in the one who redeems all things. We will carry the mystery of this hard and holy ground. The ground's hard. It's, it's hard, but it's not bad. It's, it's holy. What makes it holy? What makes it holy? is the reality, the truth that Ken was saved. Ken knew Jesus, and knowing Jesus changes everything. It changes every moment. It changes every situation. So here's the thing. Today, I am banking my heart, my mind, and my soul on the amazing and compelling truth that Jesus is the Son of God. That He's the one and only begotten Son of God. And I'm banking my heart and my mind and my soul on the compelling truth that Jesus died on a cross outside of Jerusalem to take care to cancel out the debt of my sin that I owed. And I am banking my heart and my mind and my soul on the amazing and compelling truth that Jesus did not stay dead. But he rose from the grave to let us know that he is fully in power. That he is full in authority. I'm baking my heart and my mind and my soul on the truth that Jesus did all of that. Not just to save me, but to remind me to affirm to me, to confirm to me, and not just to me, but to my buddy Keith, to his sister-in-law Jody, what his dad Ken already knows to be true, and that's this. In Christ, death can only be a shadow. It has no like every other holiday 
today can be a very, very hard day for many people. Death, or dementia, or divorce, or just disinterest might have you separated and feeling alone from the one that you love. Or maybe today dating and marriage have not found their way into your story yet. If you're a Christian and you're feeling alone today, I just want to give you Norman's words one more time. I've adapted them a little bit. Dear Christian, right now, you belong to Jesus. And Jesus belongs to you. Not for the hands of time.